Hey everyone, welcome back to episode 28 of Attitude Check, the business leadership podcast. Today we have Alex Belding as our guest. Alex has a lot of diverse knowledge and experience and I really enjoyed talking with him, both Brent and I. Um, really enjoyed our conversation. He's a very dynamic individual that's done a lot of different things from um, being in business development to having a survival blog. Uh, You won't want to miss Alex's story. Without further ado, let's jump into episode 28 of Attitude Check. Endeavor to challenge yourself every single day. Engage with your community. Effect change and produce impact. I'm John Mark Ratzbinner. And I'm Brent Sabati. And this is the Attitude Check Business Leadership Podcast. We have the conversations that young professionals should be having but aren't. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Attitude Check. Today we have Alex Belding as a guest. Alex is the Mad Growth Officer and co-founder of WebRick Companies. Um, Alex, thanks for being on the podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me. This is cool. And like always, we like to start off with an icebreaker question. So uh, fairly recently in the media, um, there's been an initiative to plant uh, 20 million trees and they started a fundraiser around it and it went pretty viral across YouTube and a few other platforms. So if you could distribute or give away 20 million of anything you wanted to whoever you wanted, what would you do with it? Oh, man. Like teacup pigs, right? 20 million teacup pigs. No, I would... Um, I'll, I'll, I'll say um, hours spent outside. If I could distribute that to maybe folks that are stuck in their cell phones or um, in a cubicle, you know, it's important to get outside. So 20 million hours spent outside, I think that would do a lot of good across across this nation. Yeah. Interesting. So you just kick people and lock people out of their right. houses you, then? You must go outside. You have no choice. <laughs> Smash their phones. Right. That way they have no yeah. choice. <laughs> yeah. And like in a nice way, maybe, you know, it doesn't have to be spent, you know, rock climbing and being in full adrenaline mode, you know, bird watching is perfectly fine or um, even just sitting on a park bench and, and, and watching uh, and watching people pass you by, right? Just being out in nature, I think. I think it's important for humans. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Alex, you are a really big person in our entrepreneurial community here in Colorado Springs. Uh, maybe, but I appreciate that. <laughs> okay, we appreciate the humility there, <laughs> but you've won various awards such as um, the Rising Star Award and the uh, Young Entrepreneur of the Year. Um, mm-hmm. So obviously, you have a lot of experience on being a founder and starting companies and trying out new ideas, but tell us your journey on where you started and how you got to where you are now. Yeah, Um I've always wanted to, to be an entrepreneur. Um, I went to business school. Um, believe it or not, actually in high school, I wanted to dance and sing. I was an actor and my father was like, no, that is not an option. At least go get a business degree if you want to. You can then become a starving artist and you'll at least know how to manage money, right? Um, and, in, and in school, um, I, I really got into the, the idea of running a company and I remember walking into a marketing class thinking it was going to be advertising, right? And then you start with a SWOT analysis and you figure out consumer behavior. And it was like, whoa, this is way deeper and way cooler than just 
a catchy slogan or a jingle. And I was, it was immediately kind of, that was the foundational moment um, for me into wanting to create something. And I, I also have grandfathers, both, um, both of which started companies. And so you could argue it's a little bit in my heritage there too. Um, and what I, when I graduated college, I didn't want to leave college. I actually, there was a grant opportunity to, to start a company, a student led company. Um, it was provided by, um, yeah, a government entity. Oh, I'm going to space on the name. Um, there's all these zones that it was basically it was Michigan funded money and there was, um, a grant to start a company. And so I jumped on that. Um, and I, I started a company with a group of kids using this grant. We called ourselves the market. Well, and this is 2009. So the height of the economic <laughs> recession, um, wonderful time to get into starting a business, but it was super good. Um, at least from a, from a position of learning the hard knocks of starting something because, um, we were, we were funded. I thought, oh, we have funding. We have this cool concept. We were going to do market research. Um, we were focused on like kind of helping the upper peninsula of Michigan. Um, those small businesses do market research and really maybe achieve some success just by having an understanding of their markets. Um, and so we start this company and it's just like, if there's a bunch of hurdles in front of you, we're, we didn't even, we just tripped over our shoelaces immediately didn't get anywhere, like couldn't sell, didn't, didn't sell, just waited for people to show up. And we just, we just burned the cash. Um, and there was a big lesson in like the amount of work it takes to get people to listen, to care, to drive value, to sell your product, to, you, you don't have a company unless you're selling things. Um, so that was a, like abject, it was a total failure. I went home, you know, I went, I left college. I had to leave now, I, you know, and, uh, couldn't stay. I, didn't want to continue in school or anything. So I went back to, and that's when I really got into websites, um, worked for people for a long time until I uh, came out to Colorado, um, actually followed a beautiful woman to Colorado from Michigan. <laughs> and uh, she's now uh, my wife and mother of our beautiful daughter. But um, when we got to Colorado, I worked um, for a small, you could call it a startup, even though it was over a decade old, but it was, it was in a space where um, we were trying to do some cool things in um, cosmeceuticals, and and I and I felt it again, like oh man, this is so cool and so much fun, um, and I learned another lesson, you know, like it takes a culture, it takes a team. Um, we just did not get along, and we really could not work together. And I was asked to resign, which is totally cool, um, but again, another total screw up, and. Um, so then I got into outside sales. I left websites. I left marketing. I was going to go chase big commissions. And I worked for a very large um, company um, in Colorado and was blown away by the lack of marketing, the lack of, um, you know, just presence in terms of brand and education and kind of owning a digital space. Cause up until then, I at least had always had those things, right? Like we had, we had a great website and we had good social media and I jumped into this, you know, nearly 40 year old company that had none of those things. <laughs> and it was like, um, you know, you're trying to make a commission and you're, 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 what's the word I'm looking for? You're trying to make a commission and, uh, you're paid on 
on margin. And if you're slashing price and killing your margin, you're killing your commission. So if you can't educate, you know, create a need and really show um, why your product is amazing, you're just, you're winning on price, which was, you know, problematic. Um, and that's when I met my now co-founder and I would really call him a mentor um, because we are a unique company here at Webrick. We, we are not the same age at all. <laughs> you know, he's um, in his, I don't actually know how old he is, but I think he's in his 50s, maybe early 60s. Um, and so he's been around the block um, numerous times and he has really kind of um, helped to facilitate my get him and go attitude with some pragmatic, okay, but why, how, you know, don't just run after the nearest shiny bobble. Um, and he has, he's really helped us, um, at, at least helped me kind of realize that true innovation and true um, business doesn't happen in a, in a weekend. It, it takes, I mean, we've been at it for over two years now and I feel like we're just getting started. So <laughs> it takes time, you know? Um, and I'm again, back to learning lessons. I think that's the one thing I always, I always try to do, you know, as, as you, um, engage with things and whether they're total failures and, you know, you're really screwed up, at least you can try to learn lessons from that moment. And, um, so that's kind of how we got to where we are today in a long winded way. Before we jump into a lot of the uh, technical questions about what you do and uh, the services that Webbrick uh, provides, um, I want to touch a little bit more on your entrepreneurial and sales experience. So with those types of jobs, you see a real roller coaster of emotions and motivation. You know, there's high points and low points. You have, you know, for a young professional, a lot of years going through those experiences. How do you keep yourself motivated and what drives you to keep going? That's a, that's a super good question. Um, I think the first thing is to, is to have a measured expectation of what's possible, you know, um, or at least having a measured expectation of how deep the bottom can be. Right. Um, Cause especially in sales, like I always joke, you're not really selling, you're just collecting no's. You know, you're just going and getting <laughs> shot down. Um, but with that kind of morbid approach to sales, it helps you kind of realize that, you know, how how hard it is, you know. Um, and then realizing that when you get a yes, holy smokes, you know, you're you're jacked. And, and that's the time, I think, and this is where I see a lot of folks screw up too, is like when you get the yes, they celebrate, they get excited. And I've been a victim of this. And they take their foot off the accelerator and they, and they stop jumping back into the game of collecting no's. And that's where that cyclical problem of sales always shows up. It's like the sell, you, you over celebrate. You're like the guy in the end zone for 15 minutes after the touchdown, um, forgetting that you have to go back to the gridiron and do it again. Um, and so that's where I think a lot of people see or, or deal with the problem of like that being hyper cyclical, right? Like we have a big success and then, you know, weeks of no success because um, the minute you get that yes is like, that's the minute you need to, you know, redouble your efforts on, you know, getting more no's. And that's, at least that's how I look at it. Um, the other thing I do that's, I think really important is figuring out a way to divorce yourself for like at least a couple minutes of the process of being in sales. Cause like sales is one of those things that will follow you 24 seven, 365. You're constantly thinking about your pipeline. 
oh, why did he, why didn't it close? Or this person that won't answer my blankety blank phone calls. <laughs> and, um, you know, um, and so like just finding either, even minutes in the day to just let it all be, you know, let it, for me, I, I pick up the guitar, I'll play a couple songs, um, go for a run, um, you know, be with your, like really be with the family. My wife will listen to this and say, ah, that's a lie, but it's true. <laughs> Try to be with your family. Um, and then, um, and then the third and final thing, um, I think that's important and I had it and now I can't think of it, but, um, now if it comes back to me, I'll, I'll say it, but, um, yeah, understanding that you're collecting those really push hard when you get a yes, be able to divorce yourself, um, from the situation, get away from the pressure, um, are really good ways to, I think, have a good viewpoint on how to stay focused on, you know sales and, and be successful. And I think that's true of just life and business in general, you know, I mean, business is hyper sales focused. It needs to be. Um, but, um, I think those kind of attitudes can help you stay, stay the course and not burn out, which so many people deal with, right? Like that's the problem is you burn out cause you, um, you can't get over the fact that you can't find a win or that you, you got to know and literally let it get to you, um, and just move on. Yeah. And I think that's uh, great advice and kind of piggybacking off of, you know, being able to kind of divorce yourself from the moment for a little bit. Um, you know, I know you like to spend a lot of time outside in uh, nature and the outdoors. Um, and it's kind of interesting to me because your your business and your entrepreneurial career is really focused around, you know, the digital tech space with websites and Jamstack, which we'll get into. Um, but you, you found a way uh, both now and in the past to kind of merge those two ideas of being outdoors and, um, you know, having some sort of digital presence or brand um, from, you know, that outdoor kind of survival blog that you told me about oh, in right? the past yeah, and uh, you're, you're running uh, how to build a business pod. So uh, long winded question, but what advice do you have on merging uh, the things you're passionate about and about creating a personal brand for yourself that's unique to you that you can put out there in the world. Yeah, I think, I mean, life is analog, right? We, we live in a physical space. You know, we're sitting in a room here together, um, but the people that are listening to this are experiencing it digitally. And so um, the way I view it is that, um, and I mean, this is borne out in all the branding that surrounds certain things, but like, you know, the printing press is now you know, the Facebook feed or is now, um, the podcast channel or is now, um, you know, just a website or a blog. So we're still telling stories. Humans have always told stories. We used to do it around a fire in a cave, right? And then it transpired that we would do it, um, you know, in, in ale halls across the across globe. And now we do it digitally. And so I think that's, um, if you can kind of view it that you have to live your life and capture your stories and just represent them digitally um, is, a, is a good way to maybe at least um, start building the practice of, you know, being digital with your, with your, with your brand, but at the same token, it's still storytelling. I mean, that's, that practice has not changed. So what kind of tips would you give on storytelling? Because I think that's a, a reoccurring topic that keeps on popping up is just the power behind being able to tell um, you know, an exciting or, um, you know, really uh, a very interesting story that draws people into a process or a belief. So um, what 
advice would you give to a younger person who, who needs to be able to tell a story and who's developing that skill? That's yeah. Um, I don't think the story needs to be super exciting. I think it just needs to meet your audience. Um, a perfect example is my daughter is loves stories that are boring, you know, <laughs> see spot, see spot run, but it is at her level, right? Um, I think that's, and I'm struggling with this all the time is how do I tell my story to meet my audience where my audience is? You know, you can go through all the tenets of what a story needs. It needs an antagonist, a protagonist. You know, there needs to be an arc or a mission, right? Um, there needs to be climax. But at the same token, um, all of those things told without the right audience, um, or at least without a perspective of who your target audience is, is pretty tough. And so I think, um, I think a lot of people struggle with story because they struggle with who their audience is or what their message is or what they want to convey. Um, and they might get stuck in the weeds or they might, you know, be, be, be telling Tolstoy to a toddler, right? That won't work. So, um, you know, I think that's maybe the best way to kind of consider how to get good at story is to first and foremost, you know, who's your audience, you know, where are they at and what, um, what can they digest? Yeah, I think that's a great question because it's, you know, those components of a story um, is something that I was kind of looking into and focusing on. Um, but being able to make it relatable to people is a huge part and just removing yourself from that picture and uh, kind of bringing it to that level, I think, is a, a great piece of advice. And speaking of stories, would you mind telling that story of your outdoor survival blog? Oh, yeah. I found that really interesting. <laughs> well, yeah, so... Um... We were living in Michigan. I was, um, and we, I it was, the, it was, a, it was my first experience with, um, creating a digital narrative. And, um, my wife, well, at that, at the time, she was my girlfriend. Um, but I can call her my wife now, I guess. Um, <laughs> we, um, we started with, the, with this simple concept of can we make a meal out of what we find outside, right? Like, um, foraging and hunting, um, and fishing and can we can we put food on the table for one meal for two people and that was the entire concept of the blog um, we called it wild west michigan it's still up i still get inquiries on facebook you know year i mean this thing hasn't been published there's been, not been a single article published on it since 2012 um, and uh you can still find it um but that was i mean it was a really it was a it was a good time it was a really good experience it was learning um you know, A, how to write, how to be interesting, how to build a social media camp, you know, just persona. But more importantly, how how freaking difficult it is to put food on your table <laughs> if you don't have a grocery store or anything, you know, like we ate all kinds of, I mean, we ate a snake, we ate um, fiddleheads, which are young <laughs> ferns, um, cattails, you know, like you th those tall reedy plants in the in swamps. Um, and which actually tastes exactly like imitation crab. I, I kid you not. Really? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, we um, ate leeks. We ate, I mean, all kinds of, you know, things that you would actually find sometimes in like highfalutin nice restaurants, you know. Uh, you know, I mean, mushrooms and stuff we didn't really touch because we were terrified that we'd die. But, um, it's probably good advice. Which is always the first question I get. Like, to this day, our Facebook page, um, 
I mean, once a once a quarter, it used to be with a lot more frequency, I would get a strange picture of something. Can I eat this? <laughs> I have no idea, bro. Like I am just probably an not. Don't yeah. do it. <laughs> yeah, that was my border. Like, no, do not eat it. I don't know. If you do, don't don't. <laughs> and you and you get hurt. It's not me. Like, I'm sorry. <laughs> but um, yeah, that was a fun experience. It was it was it was a it it shows how much engagement it still gets. Like how just a simple concept um, that was niche, right? Like I I think back to your earlier question, um, how do you tell a story as you have to focus in on, on, on something that's, that's unique and distinct. Otherwise, you just become white noise. And so um, the fact that we were doing stuff in Michigan, in West Michigan, we were foraging. Um, it was just you know, the, uh, the ability to just derive an audience from that kind of a concept was easier. Um, and, it's, and it's still, I mean, people still like the page, comment on stuff that was posted, you know, years ago. Yeah, I mean, it's really surprising how you can dig up these old pieces of content and it just surprises you, um, like, what it's done. Uh, just fairly recently, I was digging through, like, a real old uh, YouTube channel I made back in high school, just throwing together these terribly edited fishing videos. Um, I just looked at one of them uh, just on a whim, and I it had 10,000 views on it. I'm like, what that? I mean, that's nothing in today's numbers, but I'm like, I expected, like, like, couple buddies and like maybe my mom to watch it but that's about it so yeah yeah, it's really interesting how things can just kind of you know spring up out of places you don't expect yeah you will rank i mean that is the way it goes right content gets found as much as it i mean as much as people feel it doesn't it does get found absolutely absolutely so with webbrick goes mad you guys are one of the leading experts in jamstack and I think for a wide range of the population, including myself, who are not technically proficient, I have no idea what Jamstack means. So <laughs> as an expert on it, can you tell our audience a little bit more about a 20,000 foot view of what Jamstack is and why is it valuable to the world we live in today? Yeah, I think it, so Jamstack is a term coined by the founder of Netlify, um, and it stands for JavaScript, API, and Markdown. And it's basically just, um, it's a new methodology to build and deploy websites. I think that's, well, and not just websites, just digital experiences in general. Um, and I think without getting into the weeds of, of all the technicalities of what it is, um, from a high level, it is, um, it is, the, is the true use of the cloud to make digital experiences and it is divorcing this concept of website and application and really combining them both. Um, you know, you don't need an app and a website. You, you have a progressive web app. Um, and users are accessing the internet in, a, in just multitude. I mean, it, I think the, the statistics out now is the average American engages with a brand using 3.5 devices, right? Um, that number is going to go up and up and up, especially as the Internet of Things really comes out. So that's where I think the Jamstack really shines is because you use the cloud to deliver your, to kind of orchestrate and, and deliver the digital experience 
You can become device agnostic, meaning it doesn't matter where the content is being read, whether it's a computer or a Apple Watch or digital signage. Um, you don't have to play by all of the old rules of using server-based systems. And, um, and so the Jamstack, I think, is a way for us to kind of get into the next level of what the internet is. You'll hear people talk about, you know, web 1.0 was the static web, you know, where we could put information on the internet. Um, web 2.0 allowed for user generated content, right? Like now um, I could leave a comment. And in fact, that's why, you know, the dynamic website builders that we all know today, like Drupal, um, Joomla, you know, WordPress is everywhere. They came out of the comment section. That's that is what drove that switch. Um, and now we're into this next phase where, you know, we're getting into the semantic web or the ubiquitous web and it's everywhere. Um, and we can't be tied down by some of the, the administrative problems of these older tool sets. You know, you'll hear the term legacy. People refer to, you know, WordPress as a legacy um, technology. And it is. I mean, it's, it's, it's old for what is now... Um, how a website should be deployed or a digital experience should be deployed. And that's what the Jamstack is. And, and in a place where, you know, um, dynamic website builders like WordPress and, the, and, and, and Joomla, I mean, there's tons of them. Um, they're very, very programmatic and systematic. And if they don't do it, they don't do it. Whereas with the Jamstack, you can be super creative. You can come up with concepts and ways of doing things. Um, it's not as cut and dry. It's not as arithmetic. Um, and, and that allows for a ton of creativity, um, as well as a ton of flexibility as you, um, you know, take the digital experience into this new age. Yeah, absolutely. And that definitely is a really interesting thing to think about because I mean, for people who are, um, I guess, you know, younger entrepreneurs are moving into a space and looking at resources like, okay, I need like a website or I need some way to engage um, people around me digitally, you know, you, the first things you hear about are um, sites like, uh, you know, WordPress and, and things like that. And you don't think of that as a legacy technology. So it's really exciting right. to hear about, you know, the new forefront of what's possible out there. Well, and, and I can come off snobbish in this because <laughs> I mean, well, and I mean, and, and in a way, in a way you have to begin at certain tool sets. Um, the jam is coming. You know, I, I like to use the term I'm spreading the jam. Um, <laughs> but, but it's still, um, it's still new. Um, um, but it is ostensibly what the future of the internet will look like, um, to some degree. I always argue that in the beginning, you have to use what you're, what's available to you. Um, and I usually push people into things like Wix or Weebly, um, Squarespace. You know, then you can then you can grow up into um, you know web uh, uh, WordPress and the like, and then and then I love to use the phrase you know WordPress is great until it isn't. You know, like you do hit a wall with it, where you can you can surpass that wall by putting dollars at it, or you can get creative um, and use and use the cloud and decentralize your stack. Um, you'll hear the term if you really I mean for folks that are listening and they dive in. Um, what really is cool about this is that you are decoupling the, the content from the design. That's like the biggest concept of this. Um, so as a content manager on the Jamstack, you can, you can publish content with 
way more ease and you can publish to a diversified set of, um, of applications or, or, um, or websites without having to go do the publish multiple times, as well as you can really approach what is now, you'll hear this phrase as well, the omni-channel presence of modern marketing, right? Where um, it's if, if you're trying to engage with your customer across many, many, many channels, it becomes a lot easier to manage your content when it's not stuck in the design of your website, but it's, you know, it's agnostic to the design of your website. It's decoupled. And so that's really what I think the Jam stack allows for is your content is your content. Your design is your design. You can change your design without screwing about with your content. You can change your content without screwing about with your design. And you can be an omni-channel marketing force a lot easier and quicker and with more um, flexibility than with these older antiquated server systems because they just they, there's a lot more you know just operational headache <laughs> to maintain. <laughs> I argue like uh, WordPress is like a stack of plates, and if you're walking slow, you're fine. If you're trying to sprint with a stack of plates, it becomes really annoying. You know, like how do I not drop all of these plates? Mm-hmm. Whereas the Jamstack, the the plates are they're not even there. It's like an electron cloud, right? <laughs> um, so it's just a different way of doing it. And it almost seems like with WordPress, to use that analogy, not only do you have to run with the plates, but you, as you're running, the faster you want to get, you have to add more and more plates to, oh, to keep going. Oh, I mean, going, the so. analogy really has legs. I mean, if you're trying to, or passing it off, I mean, it just becomes, it becomes cumbersome at a certain level. If it's, if you're, if your business is simple, if you're putting, you know, if you only get 600 visitors a month, you're probably fine, you know? Um, as I was saying before the show, like you, a visitor, on a certain viewport, a screen, won't really see the difference. Um, they may see the difference in speed. You know, the, I mean, the jam is so much faster. We can, there was a f- hilarious article written by a WordPress company that had like a custom, they had nine custom servers built and special load balancing software developed. They had, they used engineers at HostGator and GoDaddy and Google. And they made WordPress as fast as a Jamstack website. And it was like, well, yeah, that's all well and good. But out of the box, Jam was that fast, you know. So <laughs> it's awesome that you made WordPress super fast. Um, but at the same token, you know, look at what it took to get there. And to change the system that you built would take another six months of DevOps and another huge round of money versus the jam we just we we flop it out i mean it's there's new concept is coming out that we call best in breed where it's very modular you can change your content management system you can change your content delivery network you can change your database um very very you know easily whereas with a monolithic system like wordpress change is cumbersome and expensive and you know why would no we can't change like we have to stay in the status quo because um, we're running with plates, <laughs> like you can't, we can't do anything different. So, um, that's that's one of the real reasons I got super excited about it when I found Philippe Odar and we we formed this company. Because um, what what can be accomplished now is so cool, and there's reason to get excited. Um, just as you look at the market, you know, um, Salesforce is 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 entering the the headless content management or the decoupled content management. You know, if you look at what's getting funded out of Silicon Valley now, massive funding rounds are coming um, 
you know, we we survey the planet, and I can only find a handful of actual companies doing Jamstack websites. So I know that being this early in the space, you know, um, you know, hopefully we don't get left behind. We're we're unfunded. We're entirely homegrown, um, but that also means that we are nimble as well. We don't have to listen to a board and nobody has to vote. <laughs> it's kind of nice. So, well, I could sit here and, you know, ask you about a thousand more questions about Jamstack because this, you know, gets, uh, it's, my, well, the topic is way too big, right? Yeah. Well, it just like starts the wheels turning as far mm-hmm. as content management and all that sort of thing. You know, I'll probably have to feed you a, another a couple of beers or coffee sometimes yeah, later to, absolutely. to keep the conversation going. But we're going to start transitioning into a few of our shorter bullet questions uh, to lead us out. So, Alex, what is one book that you recommend? Oh, man. Dune. Oh, I love it. It's so good. <laughs> I, I mean, surprisingly, I, I use the philosophies in Dune in business all the time. You know, if you walk without rhythm, you won't attract the worm. I, it's a great, <laughs> great book, both as a story. Um, the whole series is good. I, you know, I, I remember reading it and wishing, man, I wish there was dust. You know, like I wish I could, you know, I wish I could get into this and really harvest it and live in this world. But um so, and then the other book that I recommend for business um, is actually um, you probably it's probably been brought up on this podcast before, but Blue Ocean Strategies. Mm-hmm. Um, I really liked the concept of you know like um, trying to get away from the tide and the and the waves and the rocks and get out into the blue ocean where there's less competition or at least it's easier to see your competitors coming, um, as well as um, easier to really focus in on what your customer needs and, and create something that is, you know, maybe not unique in terms of, um, you know, product, but unique in terms of how it's pitched, presented and, and maintained. Yeah. Interesting. I'll have to look into that. Yeah. Um, and what is one resource that's helpful for you in everyday life? LinkedIn sales navigator. It's like a big deal. I don't know what I would do without it, actually. <laughs> Um, actually, the whole platform of LinkedIn, um, it's on fire right now. Gary V, man, listen to it. No, I'm teasing. But um, <laughs> uh, in all seriousness, I use I use um, LinkedIn a lot. Yeah. Well, Alex, it's been such a pleasure to have you on the podcast. There is, again, we could have continued this conversation for a while. There's, there's yeah, a it's lot. A little, it, well, it's such a, <laughs> it is a little deep, right? Yeah. Thank you for, for talking about it, though. You know, that was cool. Yeah. Yeah, we definitely learned a lot. Um, yeah, lots of things for me to think about. <laughs> um, what is one parting piece of wisdom, the best way to connect with you, and then we'll say goodbye? Parting piece of wisdom. Well, if you walk without rhythm, you won't attract the worm, right? Um, no, I think uh, be yourself, right? Um, just own it. Don't be afraid of it. That's like That's been a tough lesson for me to learn over the years is just be me, which is terrifying. And what's the best way to connect with you? Oh man, LinkedIn. Let's let's chat. I'm on there all the time. Um, you can you know, give the the business a call. I find my number at webrick w e b r i q dot com. Um, but reach out and connect with me on LinkedIn. Awesome. Well, again, thank you for being on the podcast. This is John Mark, and this is Brent signing off. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It was such a pleasure to have Alex as a guest. He truly does have a lot of wisdom and knowledge and diverse experience. 
Be sure to check back every first and third Tuesday of the month for a new episode of Attitude Check. And like us on Facebook to stay up to date on all things Attitude Check. Be sure to tap that subscribe button because let's face it, you know you want to. And please reach out to us if you have any questions or comments or things that you would like to hear on the podcast at attitudecheckpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks so much and we'll catch you next time.